So this morning, I want to ask you to turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to talk about how to create a strong culture in marriage. Now, in our study in 1 Peter so far, uh, we have talked about, about um, all sorts of things related to grit and how important that is. And uh, this is going to require some, some deep study here because this passage includes two very difficult words. One word is the S word, submission. That's a hard word, particularly in our culture. The other, uh, other two words that are used here is that Peter says the woman is a weaker vessel. You think, Peter, didn't you know that would be like an inflammatory thing to say in the year 2019? Why did you use those words? By the time we get to the end of this, I think you will understand what those mean and will be actually encouraged uh, by what Peter is saying. So I want to take you back to the year 2004. Some of you have heard this story. I'm going to tell the story again because... This story has been a transformative story in our lives. But in 2004, Cindy was our director of small groups. And she was really good at finding ministries that were out there that we could apply here that would help our church. And so in 2004, she found Celebrate Recovery out in California. She pitched the idea to me. I was excited about it. I knew we had people in our church who needed it. So she attended CR and out in LA, the summit, with intent to bring the ministry back to grace. So she says to me when she returns, now you know, in order for this to, to work, um, the senior pastor has to be all on board. Can you be all on board with this? And I said, yeah, abs absolutely. Like that means you need to go through this recovery process yourself. Okay. Didn't think I had any issues in my I mean, I knew I was, had some issues, but not that require recovery. And so uh, I sought out a sponsor, and I started working the steps. And I all of a sudden realized I do have some recovery issues. While they may not be substance abuse, for my entire life, I had significantly dealt with anxiety, perfectionism, and fear of failure. And I can recall throughout my adult years, those things significantly impacting my relationship with, with Cindy and with the kids and with the way I did life, and life here at Grace Community Church. And so I began to work these steps um, in, in earnest. And so Cindy is working her issues. I'm working on my issues. She has her sponsor. I have my sponsor. We begin working on these things in parallel. I'm not inspecting her to see how she's doing. She's not expecting me to see how I'm doing. But periodically, we're bringing our learnings into fellowship with each other as husband and wife. And about two years into the process, we realized that something really amazing was happening in our marriage because we're working on disciplines together. In fact, we, uh, we started... Uh, becoming so different that one of our daughters said, what's, what's with you guys? You guys are really different. Like, what is happening in your life? And so we began to unfold our story with them. That was fun because uh, we began to do our couples, well, our individually, our testimony at CR. She would, did hers first. I did mine. I was a little nervous to do mine. The night that I was going to do mine, there was a massive thunderstorm. Not many people showed up. 
I, I was okay with that the first time I did it. I was a little nervous about it. Then we did our couple's joint testimony here at Grace. Then we, we then shared this in a couple of churches around the Tulsa area. And by about three, four, five years, we realized we, we were totally in for the rest of our lives. Our marriage had become a recovery marriage. That was the thing that defined us. We weren't defined by some, by some forced sense of self-adequacy. We weren't defined by some sense of luck or it was, our, it was just our hard work and nothing else. No, we, we were defined by the fact that God had worked in our lives through these disciplines to bring a culture of grace into our relationship. And uh, that has truly transformed our family and our extended family. Now, this is exactly the idea that Peter brings into his book in 1 Peter 3, chapter 1 through 13. What he's talking about are the kinds of disciplines that shift the culture of a marriage. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Now, because this passage is so far removed from, from our society in 2019, I need to begin with uh, quite a bit of historical background. But let me show you how Peter, Peter begins. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. All right, now, that's a pretty hard statement for people in our, in our country, our time to hear. So let's go into the background. Uh, when Peter begins this section, he is not addressing Christian wives who are trying to improve their marriages. And sometimes it's taught that way and taught that way erroneously. So let's go back, back into the context. Remember the context of 1 Peter is a transformed identity where resident aliens, verse 1, under God's eternal care, verse 2, endowed with potential for power, verse 3. So Peter applies that idea in six concentric circles. He applies it first to God. Josh taught that several weeks ago. Then he applies it to believers then he applies it to the world, and he applies it to the world in this relatively long section, and he applies it in this way. He says, look, when you are out there in the world encountering unfairness, you need to practice the submission, the, uh, the discipline of submission in your public life, and Josh talked about that so well last week. And then he said, you need to practice submission in your professional life. Now, he uses the term slaves. I'm contextualizing that a little bit to the year 2019. We don't, we don't in our country, thankfully, have that horrible institution, but we do have a, a robust economy with businesses, and so uh, we would apply that to submission in our professional life, in our work life. Now, in this passage, he begins to apply the idea of submission in our private life, in other words, in uh, our marriages, and we can encounter tremendous unfairness in our, in our marriages. Nobody say amen to that, right? That, that, would, be, that would be really embarrassing if you, if you said that. Now, and I, I know what you're thinking, uh, and I'm sure you thought this when Josh was speaking last week. This idea of submission is crazy. It's so wrong to do that. That's not how the world works in our culture. Today, if you are the perceived 
even not the real victim, but the perceived victim of unfairness. You demand your rights. You say, I'm, I'm entitled to reparations. And we have all sorts of ways we can do this. We can go on Twitter, we can go on Facebook, we can go on Google, we can express our outrage, outrage there. And yet, the Bible consistently talks about this idea of submission as a discipline that has a very specific set of components to it. Jesus, for instance, looked at it this way in Matthew 5, 39. If anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Again, that sounds like a crazy thing that you would, that you would do. And sometimes people will take, Peter, will take Jesus' words and, and Peter's words and use a very stiff literalism, and they say, well, I guess I have to submit to unfairness even when horrible things happen, even when my husband does idiotic things, even when my, my boss tells me to do things that are unethical. I, I guess that's what I have to do since Jesus said that. Well, that's not what the discipline entails. The Bible teaches that God gave us physical, moral, ethical boundaries, and we're commanded to protect those boundaries, which means sometimes we don't submit. Sometimes we ramp up other scriptures that tell us that we can engage in proper biblical self-defense. What Peter and Jesus are talking about, about is bringing an ethos, a culture, a pattern of submission into our lives that responds to unfairness differently. And, here, and here's how it works. When I've become the victim of unfairness, rather than immediately retaliating, in the moment, I pause, I submit to God, I submit to the situation, and I see if God is going to work something out supernaturally. I pause, I submit to God, I submit to this situation, and I see if God, I give space for God to work something out supernaturally. And if God does that in the moment, I seize that, and I go with that. Now, if there is unfairness that crosses biblical boundaries, I make sure that I take those other scriptures that tell, that tell me to protect myself, and I bring those into place. But my immediate ethos is pausing, submitting to God, submitting to the situation, and saying, God, are you going to work out a supernatural solution here? Are you going to work out a miracle here? Because that's, that's what I'm depending upon first before I see if I have to ramp up self-defense to protect myself against this unfairness. This is a supernatural thing, not a human thing. And that's where most people don't get this concept of submission. So, back to the text. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Peter is primarily addressing wives of non-Christian husbands living in unfair marriages. And what he's saying is, use this spiritual discipline as an opportunity to see if God is going to do something supernaturally in your marriage with a non-Christian spouse. Now, why does Peter spend six 
verses addressing wives and only one addressing the husband. Well, the reason why is because wives were most often the victims of unfairness in the ancient world. This is a big oversimplification. But in the ancient world, it was common for Gentile men, non-Jewish men, to have wives for raising children, concubines for love, and temple prostitutes for worship. It was a horrible institution in the ancient world. That was commonplace. That was the norm in the ancient world. Was it unfair? Yes, because the men would expect their wives to be perfectly chaste and monogamous. And so women were most often the victims of unfairness in the ancient world. So then women came to Christ. Usually they came to Christ first. And what they're thinking is, man, this gives me a glimmer of hope. Maybe my husband will come to Christ. And now there's going to be a revitalization of our marriage. That's what I want. So what was the temptation for the women who came to Christ first? Put pressure on their husbands. And what happens in a situation like somebody puts pressure on you to change in your marriage? Do you just automatically say, oh, sure, honey, happy to do it? No, no. What happens is you put up these barriers and you say, uh-uh. And the harder in marriage you sort of pursue your spouse to change, the more your spouse puts up those barriers and say, no, no, you don't get to control me. And so what Peter is doing in addressing non-Christian wives is, is he's saying, look, practice this discipline of submission where you pause, you submit to God, you submit to your husband, and I'll tell you what that means more specifically in a second, and you give God a chance to supernaturally intervene. And I will tell you that it worked because historians who study, particularly the end of the book of Romans and the end of Colossians and so on, they, they, they all conclude that wives came to Christ all over the place in the ancient world, and it was the patient, loving pursuit of their husbands that brought men to Christ as well. That's what Peter's talking about. Now, um, Peter addresses the husbands in verse 7. He says, likewise, or in the same way, you husbands. Now, when he says likewise, he does not use the word submit, but the words that he uses in the passage reflect a similar ethos. Um, and the similar ethos is that the husband is to submit to the realities of marital love. And the reality of marital love is that when you control, you push away. The reality of marital love is when you invite and create a culture, you draw toward unity. And so uh, these Christian men were married to non-Christian wives. How are they going to influence their wives? Could they command? Well, in that culture, they could. They could. But you, know, you, you could command your wife to come to Christ, and she could say, oh, sure, honey, I will. But in her heart, she would say, mm-mm, not going to do it. And so what he's, what he's doing is he's encouraging them to win their wives over as opposed to commanding them. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way according to knowledge. And so that's the 
That's the background. Peter is talking about submitting to unfairness. We can submit to governments. We can submit in our professional life. We're also committed to submit in our private life. And the discipline of submission is I pause, I submit to God, I submit to the situation, and I say, God, will you please work out something supernaturally in this case? This is definitely a discipline of the supernatural. Maybe the situation will turn out quickly. Maybe it turns around in a day, a week, a month, a year. That's relatively quick. Maybe that didn't happen. Maybe, maybe you, it, it takes 10 years. There are some things in our marriage that I prayed for 15 years ago that came into place after 15 years. Now, I look at that the last 15 years in that prayer, and I'm thinking, God, you are so good. Now, why do I say he was good? Would he have been better if he had solved the problem within 15 months? No, because I needed the heart change of fellowshipping with God and that change that I wanted to see. I needed that heart change. Did it take 15 years? It did. But I got the benefit because God was working he was working in my heart. Now, I, I had an occasion to apply this in a rather odd way when Cindy and I were coming back from our anniversary trip to Victoria, Canada. And so the odd way was that uh, we, we landed after midnight and we were ready to get home, so I got our bags and I was first in line to the shuttle to take us to the car. Did I say first in line? I was first in line. I was first in line right here. And then a group came up not noticing me, they came up, and they came up right up to the end of the shuttle. And the man got out of the car. He thought they were first in line. And uh, it was late. I was tired, not in the best of moods. And I had been studying about submission. So I said to the guy, I, I said, why don't you take these good people first? Take them to the, to, the, to the parking area, and you can come back and get me. Immediately, everybody there realized what had happened. They were all profusely apologetic. But I earned big-time credibility with the driver. And the driver said, hey, let, let, me, let, me, let me help you out here, and I'm, I'm going to take you back. And that driver saved us in a big way because we had left my computer bag that had like my computer in it that has everything. And he called me back up later while we were on the road home to Bartlesville. And he said, hey, he said, I got your computer bag here. My submission in that moment earned me the kind of credibility, the kind of goodwill that saved me big time a little bit later on. And that was a very, very small area. But what I was doing in that moment is saying, okay, God, I'm going I'm to pause. I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to these people here. God, will you please work something out? And he did. Very small example. But it was sort of an odd way that God reinforced this principle to me. So with that, with that background in mind, let's go back and let's look at, the, look at the big picture. How do you then create that strong, loving culture? Well, we go now to, the, to this bigger section, uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, he's addressing the couple for sure. He's also addressing the people he identified who have to submit to unfair governments and unfair employers. All of you, 
Here's the culture I want you to create. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, insult for insult, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. Okay, so what's the, what's the crux of this? What he's saying is the chief way submission is expressed in marriage is through a God-centered positivity. In marriage, if you're going to express submission, whether it's the wife to the husband or the husband back to the wife, how do you do that? The ethos is a God-centered positivity. Notice um, that he has this plural command to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. And these are commands that the couple is going to work on jointly as they bring this culture into their marriage. And the central attitude is the Greek word Philadelphia. It means just a love, a, brother, a brotherly love. He's telling couples, build a friendship. Build a friendship in your marriage. That friendship should be a friendship where you are engaging in, multiple, in mutual honor and respect. You're creating that culture of honor in your marriage. On the negative side, you're not repaying evil for evil or insult for insult. Hey, is that easy to do in marriage? Don't raise your hands, right? Okay. To repay evil for evil or insult for insult? You bet it's easy. The main reason John Gottman says uh, for divorce is that couples will build a culture of contempt in their marriage where they begin to, to escalate. We, Cindy and I were on the bus in Victoria, Canada, headed to Bouchard Gardens. And there was a couple right in front of us. And the couple was escalating an argument on the bus. First of all, it was very, very, very slight, very whispery. Then it got louder. Then it got really loud. Then it got really uncomfortably loud. And I'm looking at Cindy, I'm going, like, this is awkward. I feel nervous, like, for the couple. Because everybody's watching them escalate an argument. That is so common in marriage. And we have this command, don't go there. Don't go there. On the contrary, Peter says, bless one another. For to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. The converse of a culture of contempt is a culture of positivity where you proactively bless. You notice positive things in your mate, you express them. You eliminate sarcasm in their place. You use words that would be considered positive. You express honor. You give thanks. You bless verbally and, and nonverbally. In other words, you become a conduit of blessing. And this is not about your spouse, whether he or she deserves it. This is not about your spouse, whether he, and she, he or she merits you noticing something positive. This is about you bringing a culture into your character where you proactively move forward and bless somebody who might not deserve it in the moment. I have the choice. I can choose negativity in my marriage, or I can choose positivity in my marriage. And there's a wonderful benefit because the habits of blessing, specifically blessing in marriage, is that God begins to shift me 
into a different person than I was before. Look, that's one of the reasons for marriage. Marriage in a fallen world is not about me getting my needs met. Marriage in a fallen world is by me being very close to another person, learning that my character has to change if I'm going to be the presence of Christ in my marriage. Marriage is about me learning how to change, learning, me learning how to be a loving person. So I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, I get too angry. You know, uh, my personality type would not allow for this. I'm a hard-charging person. Or you say, no, I, I, I couldn't, I'm, I'm too, too shy and retiring. I, I, could never, I could never do what you're talking about. I think Peter understands that. So notice what Peter does. He begins to elaborate on this. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, we all want that. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. He's reinforcing this culture of marital positivity with an Old Testament quote. So you say, okay, that's a command, but where do I get the power to do this? Next, pet, next phrase. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. When he uses that figure of speech, eyes and ears, what he's talking about is God's receptivity to pour out power. When he says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, that means God's, God's empowering presence is on those who by faith are seeking marital positivity. His eyes are on them to give them the power to carry out what they could not do in their own strength. And the ears of God's, God's ears are open to their prayer. Not just like, okay, I'm, I'm ready, I'm listening to your prayer. When he uses that word openness, what he's talking about, not just openness, but the kind of openness that then brings power to bear on that situation so that the culture begins to shift in the relationship. God is specifically promising power. Now, if I do these disciplines of positivity and fail to rely on God, I'm not going to have the marriage that God has intended. I'm not going to have the relationships with others that God has intended. If I rely upon God but don't do the disciplines, my marriage, my relationships are not going to be what God intended. Peter is emphatically talking about both things, the supernatural and the spiritual disciplines, both at the same time. Now, let me, let me pause and say something about this idea of positivity. Among all the faiths in the world, the Christian faith is um, the one that truly champions positivity. Um, you see that in a number of the commands in the scriptures about giving thanks in all things. If you compare Christianity with all the other religions, it is a shocking difference between Christianity and the other religions about how much positivity is brought to bear in our relationship with God. And the reason why is because the triune God is a supremely happy God. God himself is happy. God himself is joyful. God himself is positive. So when we are talking about being people who are positive in our relationships, we're talking about doing this because God himself is that way, and God invites us into that experience. So 
when couples begin to build this into their marriage, um, they begin to actually shift and change their spirituality and their neurobiology because neurobiology changes with the expression of thanks and positivity. So let's go from the, let's go to the, that's the big picture. Let's go to the command of the husbands. Uh, we're going, going to go backward now through the passage. How husbands bring this culture into their marriage. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Peter is commanding a culture of honor. He says, husbands, I want you to live with your wives according to knowledge. Listen to her. Listen to her preferences. Listen to her dreams. Listen to her desires. Delve deeply into understanding who she is and what she needs. Update your mental map about your wife. I, I could have a mental map that was five years old. I need to update those mental maps so that I know what she's thinking today, not five years ago. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, I can tell you that when I first took the Gallup Strengths Finder and Cindy took the Gallup Strengths Finder, we were pretty amazed that my top five strengths are her bottom five strengths. Her top five strengths are my bottom five strengths. We could not be any more different. For me to live with Cindy in an understanding way, I have to proactively listen to her and update my mental maps about how she's, how she's doing. So he starts off by talking about this culture of honor. Then he takes it a step further. He says, show her honor as a weaker vessel. What, is, what the heck does he mean by this? Well, he's not referring to weaker physically because there are plenty of women who are better athletes than men, better golfers, better basketball players. They're, they're, he's not talking about athletic prowess. He's not talking about the ability to lead. Many women are fantastic leaders. They run companies. They coach teams. He's not talking about leadership or athletic ability, but there is one area in which many female writers on this will, will agree. A woman, a woman may be more vulnerable to pain than a man in relationships. I think that's what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that women tend to see problems in their marriage first. They tend to feel pain over their problems more acutely and they tend to require more time to ensure that those problems are processed the right way. And I think what Peter is saying is if you're going to build a culture of positivity into your marriage, what you have to do is take into account that your wife processes pain different than you do. Take that into account as you're working out issues in your relationship. Peter even takes it one step further. He says, grant her honor as a fellow heir and the grace of life. You know, the amazing thing about God is that God pours out common grace. Common grace is rain for the farmer. It's wind for the sailor. Common grace is God generously giving things to us because he loves humanity. And what Peter is saying is, husbands, what, what I want you to do is I want you to be a conduit of God's common grace to your wife. Show her that you care about her by doing things proactively 
to express love. And notice the expected result. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wonderful little figure of speech where he uses the negative to mean the positive. What he's saying is if you want your prayers to be answered for your wife to come to Christ, then you need to do these things, right? Otherwise, your controlling personality style is going to hinder her from coming to Christ. Well, if that's true for a non-Christian, how much more true is that for us as believers who want to see our wives grow and mature in their faith? We've got to be practicing these things all the more. So now we go backward even farther and look at, at the role of the wives again. Um, <clears throat> how can wives bring this culture to their marriage? Well, um, remember what he says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even of them do not obey the word. That means even if they're not believers in Jesus Christ, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Well, the word submit is a, is a military term. And it means that you are ranked above somebody else. Well, we don't live in a military culture, do we? We live in the year 2019. How do you take that term and contextualize it to the year 2019? Here's how you do it. In 2019, submission success suggests a respectful responsiveness. Well, what does that mean? Respect is an attitude. It's an attitude that I value your personhood. It's an attitude that I, I cherish the person that I've committed my life to, and I'm going to express that tangibly. Responsiveness is a commitment to action. So respectful responsiveness is bringing a culture of honoring receptiveness into your marriage. Now, both husbands and wives need to do that, but the way Peter expresses that is different. So some examples, respect plus responsiveness means you respect your husband's personhood. It means that you respect the place he occupies in your family. It means that you respect your husband's God-given personality. Is it going to irritate you at times? Yes. Will yours irritate her at times? Yes. But the respectful responsiveness says, I am going to choose respect and I'm going to respond with action whether I feel like it or not. And then Peter gives us some examples. It means leading with actions before leading with words. That's one implication, as husbands will see respectful and pure conduct. Another implication is that it means you work on your inner life rather than striving to change his life. It's one of the great things Cindy and I were able to learn in Celebrate Recovery. It also means that we resist the natural fear that it won't work because we can be frightened. And Peter addresses this, you know, don't, don't be afraid that this won't work. But on the other hand, depend upon the power of God in that process. So let me close with some takeaways. Main idea is that a healthy marriage is one in which spouses are living out the disciplines of God-centered positivity as defined by, by Peter which means I proactively bless my partner. I refuse to escalate arguments. When I do address issues, which we always have to in marriage, we can't sweep things under the carpet. I listen, I communicate with dignity. For wives, it means taking the, res the vision of respectful responsiveness seriously. And for husbands, it means proactively express honor. So I got one takeaway. And my one takeaway is this. 
Start with you. Start with you. Here's the thing. You know, you look at what Peter says, and, and you'd, you'd think, okay, well, well, wait, my spouse isn't on board with this. I'm not going to do it. And you have to start with you. There, were, there was a couple of things that happened early on in our journey, Cindy and I, the journey Cindy and I were on, where Cindy clearly started with her. I noticed the difference, and I said, if Cindy's going to do this, I'm going to step it up for me. She invited me because of the way she embraced so thoroughly the disciplines of, of recovery. My response back to her was such that my kids said, wow, like what's happening to mom and dad? But we weren't always totally in sync. Cindy had months where she was working on her stuff and I wasn't coming along. Now, months is not very long in the grand scheme of things. But what I, what I want to say is it's really important that you say, okay, I'm going to start with me. I'm going to start with me. I'm going I'm, I'm to take the first step on this and say, God, I'm trusting in you supernaturally to make the change. Let's stand for our closing prayer.